0: Thank you, Matthew. You want to get called Matthew? You're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Thank you, Bible. This morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. want this week, um, R.T. Hughes, a professor at um, Southwestern, he was anyway, um, in writing about this text uh, back in uh, the 80s, had uh, asked a math professor to take the U.S. budget and put it into context. And in 1985, uh, the U.S. budget was 1.021 trillion dollars. 1.021 trillion dollars, and the math professor broke that down uh, in some numbers to hopefully uh, try to. I don't know about you, but um, and you'll see in just a moment. Um, I can't even begin to think of 1.022. I had, to, I had to find a, a, a special calculator to even do some math to get those many zeros uh, in to figure uh, this idea of uh, 1.021 trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of tax money what that is. And um, it's pretty much beyond comprehension uh, for most of us. Uh, let me give you an even more beyond comprehension number. 1985 the budget was $1.021 trillion dollars. This year, it is $6.7 trillion dollars. Six, excuse me, 6.2. I won't give any language any more than $6.2 trillion dollars. me put that in perspective just a little bit for you. Uh, this is what the math professor went back and did, and I have taken and tried to calculate for the difference between one and six trillion dollars. If you began at the birth of Christ, spending $8,498,000 a day, every day, without any time for weekends or holidays, and continued that rate of spending all the way through the fall of Rome, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, the Age of Enlightenment, uh, the Industrial Revolution, right on through the 20th century, right on till today, you would have not spent, uh, you would have, you would have been able to spend somewhere in the neighborhood of six trillion dollars. Um, I don't know about you, but that number even uh, is... Um, beyond my comprehension. If you wanted to spend six trillion dollars in a year, this is what you'd have to do. You'd have to spend almost 197 thousand dollars a second. About 12 million a minute or 708 million an hour. I know a couple of you I think can come close. <laughs> um, for the average person, that's pretty much an impossible uh, thing to do, but we know that our dear Uncle Sam is capable of miracles. Um, that, that's no no challenge for him whatsoever to spend that kind uh, of money. And I'm trying to be political this morning. Uh, I'm just setting the stage a little bit for our passage this morning uh, as we think about that uh, those kind of numbers. And we all know where those numbers came from, uh, where they got that money they're spending, they got uh, through the Infernal Revenue Service. And that's where it's coming from. It's coming from you and I. We are spending that much money, whether you realize it or not. You are. Uh, you're part of it. You're helping uh, spend that kind of money. Uh, perhaps that's why throughout history uh, we have despised anything to do with tax collectors and tax collection and tax bureaus uh, and, and that's pretty much the case in every culture and every country uh, throughout history. Uh, tax men have always been some of the least uh, favorite people in all the world. I knew a young lady years ago who was going to go to work for the IRS. I said, why would you do that? You know, you know nobody's going to like you. Uh, you know, nobody's going to like you. Uh, your own family's going to talk bad about you. Nobody's going to, you know, you're not going to be welcome uh, at um, the at, um, you know, family reunion or anything. You're talking about taxes. The average person's, uh, you know, our, our blood pressure uh, shoots up things were no different in Jesus' days. Uh, the Romans, as you know, uh, had uh, taken over uh, basically authority. Uh, they ran controlled uh, the area uh, of Israel. The Jews were under uh, the Jewish uh, or under Roman uh, authority. And they had what they called tax farming. And uh, the way they Conducted their business uh, was they would take they took the area they were in control of and divided it up in, into parcels and then they would take bids uh, for a person to collect taxes in that parcel. They would they would divide the area up and the way they worked it say let's just take Cabarrus County. Uh, they would divide it up and they would take Cabarrus County and they say out of Cabarrus County. We want to uh, receive uh, a million dollars in taxes. Now, they would farm that out to a tax collector, and they didn't care where he got the million dollars. If he could get it all from Archie, uh, they didn't care as long as they got their million dollars. They also didn't care if he took up two million and kept a million for himself, as long as they got their million. And so that was the way uh, their system uh, worked. Anything he gathered above what they said this district should give, that was his profit. That was how uh, he was paid, by what he could take uh, from that area. And and again, so uh, there were, uh, again, obviously uh, lots of room for misdeeds. How's that? We'll be nice to the poor tax collectors. There was obviously room, uh, a lot of room, for uh, extortion, for other things, and they had a system that was kind of a unique system. They had two forms of taxes uh, that everybody had to pay, and one of them uh, were the stated taxes. These were basically uh, fixed taxes. These were taxes that pretty much Everybody paid on a pretty well, uh, uh, an equal uh, basis. For one thing, uh, there was a poll tax which applied to everybody, uh, men and women, between the age uh, of 14, uh, men between 14 and 65, uh, women between 12 and 65. Everybody had to pay that tax simply for the privilege of breathing. It was just a, a tax that everybody paid. Uh, no matter if you were in that age bracket, you paid it uh, just because you were alive. There was a ground tax where you paid one tenth uh, of all the grain, one fifth of all the wine that your uh, that you produced. Whatever it was, you paid one tenth and one fifth uh, of that. Uh, in some areas, they even taxed fish. Uh, if you went fishing and you brought in fish, they taxed your fish. Um, that's, that's cold right there. Uh, tax man's fish. They would even tax their fish. And probably, obviously, that was done in areas specifically like the area we've been talking about, at Capernaum, which was uh, around the Sea of Galilee, where a lot of people uh, fished for a living, and the fishing industry was large. And so they taxed their fish then there were their fishes. Then there was an the income tax, uh, and so I'm, I'm telling you this for a couple of reasons. One of them, so uh, you won't think we've got it completely terrible, uh, but uh, I, I'm setting the uh, the scene for something we're going to look at here uh, in, in just a moment. And income tax, which was one percent of their annual income. I don't know about you, but I think I could get along with one percent of my income. If they didn't tax my feelings. that would hurt my feelings. Uh, I'd give them the heat. Yeah, you know, uh, they tax one you know, percent of the income. These were the stated taxes. What much room for extortion or bending the rules there? I mean, you, you, one tenth is one tenth. That's pretty well uh, uh, a given. But the second area was the one where the tax collectors had a field day. The second area was what they called duties. Now, duties were an interesting um, form of tax that the tax collectors were able to do. Uh, These were completely separate. These were the taxes they paid for using the roads. These were the taxes they paid for using the harbors. Uh, there was a sales tax on certain things. There were in taxes on imports. There were taxes on exports. Uh, there were taxes on your cart. In some places, they even taxed each wheel on your cart. So if you had a four-wheel cart, you paid tax on... All four wheels, uh, and, and so there was a lot of room for uh, for uh, taxes, uh, for uh, for exploitation and cheating and lying. They can, you know, you're coming down the road with your cart. They just stop you, go through your cart, see what you had on your cart, make you unpack everything on your cart, figure it up, and say your tax on what you got on your cart is. Eeny, meeny, mighty mo. Whatever number they pick, you know, if they like you, might let you go. If they didn't like you, you might be one of those that pay tax on the wheels. You know, everything that uh, would do, you know, that, that they could do. And that, in this area of duties, they could charge tax on pretty much anything they wanted. You showed up at church on Sunday in a new dress. So you got a new dress. Pay tax on it. You are going to today. <laughs> yeah, that—that that was the tax collector had that wide range uh, of authority, and again, he could set the number at wherever um, he wanted it to be. And again, this was how he ended up uh, making his profit. And Rome didn't care. They—they they could care less as long as they got their money. I say that all of that to tell you, you can probably. Pretty, y'all hate the Jewish tax collectors, and you're not even Jewish. Yeah, that—that's how bad this system was. I mean, they were—they uh, were—they were hated uh, in in everything um, that uh, was that, that that in every way, shape, and fashion, they were hated. Easily the, the most hated. Yeah, you better your daughter marry a leper tax collector. I mean, it was that bad how bad uh, they hated him. They weren't allowed really any part in temple worship. They weren't allowed to hold a public office uh, because they were considered the, the lackeys uh, of the Roman government. Uh, and, and the people uh, hated them. Basically, a, a comparison that you and I may be able to understand uh, today is much like uh, the French hated the Nazis uh, who were occupying France during the World War, uh, World War II. They hated uh, those Nazis, and so they hated them. Cash collector couldn't be a judge, cash uh, collector were so hated and so untrusted, it didn't matter if they saw a murder They couldn't be a witness in court. I mean, that's how uh, low they were. i tell you all that to tell you and set the stage for how unbelievable it was in town when Jesus called Levi, the man we know as Matthew, to be a disciple. They didn't need CNN. They didn't need Fox. They didn't need Twitter. They didn't need cell phones. Within moments, everybody in Capernaum knew that Jesus was hanging out with a tax collector. It, I mean, you talk about something that you know, flew through town. You talk about news uh, that flew all over town uh, that, uh, that Jesus has called, he has got a tax collector as a follower. That leads us into this text this morning, uh, where this story kind of blows up. And the criticism, if you if, you, if you go back and you read and you pay attention as we've come through the Gospel of Mark, you see how that uh, Mark these stories have been uh, amping up in intensity. Uh, the the uh, rejection, the, um, uh, the the anger towards Jesus is just steadily. It's steadily building. Uh, In fact, there's probably a really good possibility. If they could have figured out a way uh, to do it, they would have crucified him that day. Uh, The day he called Levi, or Matthew, to be one of his followers. And that call the publican is what we want to look at first. Look at verse 13. It says, If he went forth again by the sea, not long by the Sea of Galilee, and all the multitude uh, re- resorted unto him. So he didn't call Matthew in a vacuum. He had a crowd that was there he taught him. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. What Matthew was doing as a tax collector, they would build like a booth, and, and kind of a raised-up booth, and they would set up in it so they could see everything, so as people came by, they could stop them and collect their taxes uh, and get the taxes from them, the duties from them. And so he was sitting there and he says to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. One of the great passages that uh, also describes this are the words of Luke. I love how Luke describes this. Uh, when in chapter 2, or chapter uh, chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 5, Luke says, and he left all to follow him. He left all, rose up and followed him. I don't even know if you've ever thought about this of Matthew following Jesus. Peter, he could go back to fishing. All the other disciples could go back to where they came from. Matthew, when he left, as Luke said, he rose up and left it all. Matthew left it all. As soon as he got up and left, Rome appointed somebody else to be tax collector. His job was gone. He couldn't, listen, he, and, and no matter what else he did pretty much for the rest of his life, the people in town were always going to look at him as that no count, low down, filthy tax collector. The rest of his life, it didn't matter what he could do. He could walk around and kiss every baby in town, passing out $20 bills. He was always going to be that tax collector. Matthew, when Luke says he left it all to follow Jesus, Matthew left it all. He he gave up everything. He left it all behind. He left behind his career. He left behind his income. We know what Peter, you remember what Peter did after the crucifixion? What did Peter do? You remember? He went back to fishing. Exactly. He went back to where he had been. You can always go back to fishing. They have to pay tax on them, but you can always go back to fishing. You can't go back to being a tax collector. When he left that job, when he turned his back on Rome, when he walked away to follow Jesus, everything changed. Everything was different. About the only thing I figure Matthew kept from his past career was his ink pen. What he used to use to take tax records with, now he's using to write his gospel. He's writing down what takes place. It's interesting when you read through the gospels, we don't see Matthew mentioned. Matthew's not talked about. About the only time you see Matthew mentioned, the only way you see him mentioned is when all the disciples are mentioned. We don't see Matthew doing any great preaching. I'm sure he did something. I'm sure he wasn't just walking around doing nothing, but nothing magnificent of Matthews is recorded. But he left it all to follow Jesus. You don't have to be a great evangelist. You don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to write books. But you do have to leave it out you do have to leave it behind and follow Jesus. As Jesus travels along and he sees Levi there, I will, you know, I will guarantee you, when he looked over and that crowd was following Jesus along, and he looked over to Levi and says, follow me. You, know, you, you can hear all of the gasp out of the crowd, because this man, uh, why in the world would Jesus associate with such a low life, you know, and in a, and again, a a, a really, really weird, ironic twist. Anybody know what Matt, the word name, when Jesus somewhere along the way began to call him Matthew, the tax collector called him Matthew. You know what the name Matthew means? You know? I don't. You don't know? You know your name's Matthew, right? Okay. The name, well... Y'all may not agree with this after I tell you now that you've met Matt. The name Matthew. Jesus began calling him Matthew. This nasty dirty tax collector. And the name Matthew means the gift of God. Jesus says that this tax collector that y'all wouldn't give the time of day. I call him the gift of God. The gift of God. Listen, I don't think too many people in town would agree with that assessment of Matthew. That he was the gift of God. Again, Levi was the most unacceptable, unlikely person to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. How many of you in here feel like maybe you're a Levi? You might have been, everybody else thinks you're unacceptable, unworthy. He can't possibly be a follower of Jesus Christ, but Jesus says of him, he's the gift of God. He's the gift of God. I chose him. I called him. Thanks uh, to thank God. That became one of the trademarks of Jesus' ministry, if you think about it. Pretty much anybody he dealt with were the ones that all of society said they're, they're, they're the scum of the earth. They're useless. They're nasty. The lepers. The, the prostitutes. The, you know, the Samaritans, you name it, the people that society had kicked to the curb. Jesus looked at them and said, you're all Matthews to me. You're all Matthews to me. You're all gifts. Jesus saw a man in Levi, not a category. Jesus saw potential in Matthew, not his past. Jesus saw a man that needed a Savior, not a man that needed to be excluded from society. Listen, Jesus understood and knew what that man could become. There are several people in this room. I I, I won't call but one because he shared his Tommy's, I think about Tommy's own testimony. And, and where he was and what, what he used to be and what Jesus has done in his life. Anybody that knows him knows that, that God has worked in his life and, and that to Tommy, to, to God, Tommy is a Matthew. To God, Melissa, in this world it's alright I guess, call women, Matthew. Yeah, you know, listen, in this world, Kenny, you're a Matthew. The world, they're not great, you're a Matthew. Archie, you're a Matthew. Debbie, you're a Matthew. You're somebody that the world thought has no potential, no hope, but God looked at you and said, you are a gift to me. Amen. You are a gift. You're a gift. How many of you are familiar with the great sculpture of David? You know what I'm talking about? Probably basically considered to be one of the greatest if not the greatest sculpture in all of of sculpturing. One of the greatest, not just, but of all artwork, considered to be one of the, you know, if you were to name great art in the world, David, Mona Lisa, a few pieces, ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, there's a few pieces that would always show up. Do you know the story of the statue of David? That statue was created between 1501 and 1504. The marble for that statue was drug into town. That huge slab of marble was drug into town somewhere in around 1475. When they drug that piece of marble into town, the original sculptor that was supposed to take that piece of marble and use it, looked at it and walked around it and decided there's too many imperfections. This piece of marble will never do And walked away from the project. And so this huge chunk of marble sat there for 25 years, just sat there. Till one day, Michelangelo comes along looks it over, and sees what no one else had seen. And he said, I'll do it." He had a vision of what that chunk of rock could become. And for the next three years, chiseled away. And in January of 1504, when The unveiling was held. All the world's great artists gathered to see the unveiling. What has Michelangelo done with this rock? Leonardo da Vinci was there. Um, Bencelli, many of the world's greatest artists showed up. Many of them no doubt expecting to see Michelangelo's great failure with this flawed piece of granite. You know the rest of the story. When they unveiled it, the audience was dumbfounded at the beauty, the magnificence of what Michelangelo had created from a flawed piece of rock. Matthew, you ever feel like a flawed piece of rock? That Jesus came along. Tommy, you ever feel like a flawed piece of rock? Right. But the great sculptor came along and looked and said, where everybody else sees failure. Where everybody else right. sees mistakes, I see potential. Right. And why? Heavy, my Jesus. And I got to tell you, sometimes working on this old piece of chisel, this old piece of, uh, of granite right here was probably harder than working on a piece of granite. And as a little kid song goes, don't blame too much because he's still working on me. But thank God, I'm not what he used to be. I'm not what Jesus saw Levi. Where everybody else saw a rotten, broken piece of rock, Jesus saw a work of art. He did the same for you. When everyone else didn't see anything, Paul says in Ephesians what? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ You may see a piece of rock, but thank God Jesus sees a piece of art. The call of the publican led to the complaint of the pious. Oh, the religious lose their mind. Because the first thing Matthew does after following Jesus, he says, I'm going to throw a big dinner. And I'm going to invite all my tax collector friends. And I want to meet Jesus. Folks, do I need to preach on that this morning? Or is that clear? When this man met Jesus, the first thing he wanted to have happen was for all his friends to meet Jesus. I don't think I need to expound on that too much. He wanted... All, everybody he knew and those he didn't. When he met Jesus, he wanted everybody else to meet Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus said at me, the publicans and the sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said, how is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard, he said to them, they are whole have no need of the physician, but they are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Where do doctors work? They work in the hospital. Who hangs out at the hospital? Sick people. Doctors don't hang, well, I'm not going to say not all of them. But a good doctor doesn't hang out with the whale people. A doctor, a good doctor, goes to where the sick people are. Now, the religious here, the pious, the scribes, the Pharisees, they all get in in, in a tissue because Jesus is having dinner with Matthew and his friends. And they're having, how many this man claims to be a teacher of the law. How can he possibly ignore, and hear this word, how can he possibly ignore our traditions? They were upset because Jesus was violating the law. They were upset because he wasn't following their traditions. Not God's word, not God's law, but their traditions. See, that, that was their 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 issues. And I want to tell you something. We talk about the scribes and Pharisees. We got a lot of scribes and Pharisees left in the church in 2023. Who are far more concerned about their traditions than they are lost souls and the Word of God. Sing a song they don't like. Move a piece of furniture. Change the order of service. I don't know if y'all have noticed, we use a different order of service every week just so you can't say that. You'll never know what it's going to be. Listen, I'll tell you right now, the church I grew up in, quit printing bulletins. You know why? Because if on a given Sunday, you skipped something on that bulletin, there were some people who got, like had a heart early. Now, they lose their mind. Move it out of order. So let's put them all together. That way, just leave it out. We just ignore it. Brent, ignore it anyway. More concerned about tradition. Here, instead of rejoicing that a man like Matthew has had a life-changing event, they're more worried about who's in the supper with him. Does that make like some good badness to you? More worried about tradition than rejoicing. They hated tax collectors. Here's one that's given up for whatever reason. Whatever reason, he's given up being a tax collector. For a day or two anyway, we're probably going to be able to go fishing and not have to pay tax on our fish. You'd think they'd be thrilled to death, but instead, they're angry. They're upset because Matthew and Jesus are having suffered with the sinners. Can I suggest something to you here? Matthew and Jesus just gave us a really good lesson. Most of us need to find a few more sinners and have supper with them. Most of us need to find just a few more sinners And have supper with them. How else will they hear the gospel? Where are they going to hear it? On the television? In the school system? But the religious are about to lose their mind because Jesus is hanging out at the center. They're about to go crazy. Listen, we need to be getting involved with our communities. we need to be getting involved with people at work. Now, you got to be real careful. I, I need to be cautious here. That doesn't mean you act like them. Doesn't mean you do what they do. Right. But do we have some sinners we're having dinner with? You can have put them outside at your house. Put a sign up in the front yard. Put a sign down on Chevron. shelf, it Dinner with sinners. Come on over. We need to have some more contact like Matthew and Jesus did. And then finally, that led to the curiosity of the people. And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that uh, filled it up, taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. No man put a new wine into old bottles, and... Else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be martyred. But new wine must be put in new bottles. I got to move quickly here. This passage probably could stand alone as a message on its own, but I, I really think it goes back and ties into what we've just looked at. Jesus goes on in addressing the Pharisees and scribes, and he talks about several odd... Probably not three things you'd think of putting together. A wedding ceremony, a torn piece of cloth, and a wine bottle. Kind of a strange mixture that Jesus is about to bring out. And the Pharisees, again, as a uh, as a group, had completely rejected the ministry of John the Baptist and his disciples. Now, if you look at this passage, the Samaritan Jesus... The Bible says that the Pharisees and the disciples of John both, finally they found something to agree on. Now they're Jesus. And they come to him and ask him, why aren't, why are you eating? Why, why aren't your disciples fasting? See, the Pharisees, there was actually only one day of the year that the Jews were commanded to fast. Any other fast was Totally, not saying it was wrong, just something that they had included in the calendar. It was one day, day of only day that was set aside specifically for fasting. But the Pharisees and John's disciples obviously had something in common. They obviously believed that the more we fast and the more people who know we fast, the more of a sign of repentance it is. Anybody in here know you can fast without repenting? Nobody knows that? You can fast without repenting. Vice versa, you can repent without fasting. They are not booked at the hip. The Pharisees and the disciples of John thought they were, and they considered it to be an intricate part of their religion. And so they said to Jesus, they asked him, what kind of company are you keeping, but what are you doing with them? You're not just hanging out with sinners, but you're eating with them when you should be fasting. What in the world kind of man of God, prophet of the law, are you? You are completely out of line. And again, at that exact moment, most likely, there's a good chance that the Pharisees and John's disciples themselves were fasting. And I don't know about you. You ever been on a dike? Everybody ever been on a dike? you probably on one night. Yeah. You ever been on a dike and some jerk sits down in front of you with a big old piece of chocolate cake? Irritated, didn't they? Then fasting, Jesus and his disciples were having a feast. Had to get under your skin a little bit. They were upset. They were angry. Again, Scripture only said they had to fast on the day of his home. But the Pharisees and the disciples of John, for the most part, had put into practice that they fasted uh, Monday and Thursday. Every week. Monday and Thursday. Monday and Thursday. Regards, rain or shine, they fasted Monday and Thursday. Why? Because they thought religion was so. The Pharisees, most of us have in our mind this picture of the Pharisees walking around in gold and all fancy and the fancy robes and all that. Do. We had a picture of it kind of looking like the Pope. That's a good example. You know, Pharisees walked around in old dirty clothes. They didn't take a bath. Yeah. Didn't do their hair. Who cares? Didn't shave. They walked around looking grimy and groovy and all that kind of stuff. Because that made them look poor, pitiful, servants of God. We still got some of them too. And a smile would just crack their face like a hammer on that piece of granite all the it. And here Jesus is throwing a feast in the middle of their fast. I think he even took a blast. And they are living. And so Jesus tells them the story that all of them knew that a Jewish wedding, they didn't go on a honeymoon. They went home. And they threw a party. I mean a party. Everybody came over. Threw up the doors of the house. And they eat and they eat and they eat. You remember Jesus' first miracle was what? Got a wedding. wedding. They threw a party. See and during that time all the guests were exempted from any kind of fasting. It was a it was a rabbinical rule. No fast. We're on the wedding. having a honeymoon, having a bridal party. He says, Man, when they having a bridal party, brother br-. They don't fast. They have a party. And these people heritage with me they're having a party they can fast later they're celebrating he gives them another analogy he says you don't take a piece of cloth or wore out a piece of cloth with a hole in it and so a new piece of cloth on as a patch if you do over time that new piece of cloth will draw and it will tear up the old piece of cloth and make it worse we don't do that. We don't, we don't mix the old and the new. We're not going to mix all this old stuff you had with what I'm teaching. I tell you what? Make all things new. All the old things pass away. Make you a new creature. I come to change things. And then he gave them a better illustration, even more powerful. You don't put wine, new wine, in old wineskins. Wine skins were made out of goat skin. They'd try to skin the goat as much as possible in one big piece so they could bring and they would use it for a wine skin. And once it had aged and been used, when you put new wine in it, the new wine began to ferment, it would blow up. So you didn't put new wine in an old wine skin. You didn't mix the old and the new. Jesus says, I'm here to do things new. Salvation. Listen, Levi didn't get a partial patching up. We're not putting Levi in an old wineskin. Levi's got a new life. Levi's a new man. Levi, Luke said, left it all and rose up to follow him. He was a new man. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that everyone who gets out of their tax booth, everybody who gets out of their tax booth of sin, everybody who rises up, wins it all, and follows Jesus, gets a new life, gets to be part of the kingdom. Everybody that's broken by sin, everybody that understands they'll never be good enough on their own, they'll never be good enough for God, and they received God's grace. Matt saying a while ago. Man, if you're a child of God, that didn't start a moment of grace. Right. That's what Matthew met that day. Right. When Jesus came down that road, it was a moment of grace. Jesus came to save us from sin and from religious people. Right. Came to save us from religion. And this morning, Jesus, He's walking by your booth. He's walking by your booth. Will you leave it all and follow Him? He's showing you grace like nothing you've ever seen before, like nothing you can and He wants you to come and dine with Him. Think about that image for a moment. Just a few moments ago Matthew Levi was sitting by the roadside collecting taxes as the most hated, despised man in town. There was, you know, pretty much all cultures. They're the Same. So I so saw in China. I so saw even up north. Even up north. Most people, when they walk down the road, they meet someone. Especially here in the south. Well, you I know. How you doing? Yeah. Most people. My family gets mad at me up there I get on the spell when I'm driving. Every car we pass. Makes me mad. I'm only about a fifth of them way back. I want to chase it down and bump. Hey, I waved at you. That's pretty much tradition. position. How you doing? Right? Don't you do it? You walk by somebody up? How you doing? You know, you pass them on the aisle in the grocery store? Look at their see what they got? Yeah. Take something off shift, the ship, throw it the boat. You know, you're watching us register. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> that's not kind of a Matthew said, not a soul walked down the road. He said, so, have you, no Matthew? Yeah. They walked down the road. This is what I think of Levi sitting up in his booth. How many of y'all remember back in the day when Bilo had that old, old man. It looked like the bank guard on Andy Griffith. Sitting up on that stool with a shotgun hanging up on the wall behind him. And I think, God forgive me, I think if I'm going to the first thing I'm going to do is walk in and pop the old man. You know, he's sitting up there on that stone just perfect, he Ain't no way he can get to that gun. And if he does, it's probably like Aces on Andy Dirk when he picks it up and falls apart. people who were walking by some not have sit up in that booth. Went to, I can hate you. That man went from that position to sitting at the table with Jesus. Right. To die with the King of Kings. What a change! Because he left it off. Jesus. Some of you here this morning, you follow Jesus, but can you honestly say you've left it all? Are you trying to serve God with one foot in the church, and one foot in the world, one foot in heaven, and one foot in the world? You come to church on Sunday and act one way, and go to work on Monday and act another. You you you're following Jesus, but if you left it off, Have you left it off, somebody of here this morning, somebody online, you're still sitting in the tax booth of sin. Jesus is walking by, saying, "Follow me." Today you need to be saved. You need to ask Christ into your life. Today could be your moment of grace bow with me Heavenly Father I come to you today God I thank you that when I was sitting in my tax booth and sin, you came by and said follow me and God you changed me you forgave me and now I'm dining at your table. God, there are believers in this room. Saved. Genuine, born-again believers. But they're still trying to hang on to the title. Still trying to hang on to the sin. They haven't left it all. Father, this morning, would you touch their hearts? God, for the one here today, the one online that did not know Jesus, would just stir their hearts. God, did see Jesus passing by, and this is their moment of grace. We'll give you glory for what you do. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Table back there. Uh, you want? Tell them what you got. Yes, I have the Poplar Grove Special. <laughs> Next week it'll be the Church Off Special, but today it's the Poplar Grove Special. Uh, I've got four CDs back there. If you buy any 2 of I'll give the third one free. If you want all four CDs, that'll be forty. Also have a T-shirt. If you want one, one of everything on the table, that's fifty dollars. One of everything on the table. I said that one time, I said, if you want everything on the table is fifty bucks, and some guys got said nothing. But if you want each CD and the shirt, fifty dollars, love to see you back here. Now some of those took the CDs got his picture on him, and they have a picture on them and they are great. Put them, put them in your cabinet and you will not have rats. <laughs> in fact, the rats will bring back the cheese they stole last month. Thank you, Matt. Um, somehow or another, I need to figure out a way. Um Archie. of nothing. David Davis is closer. Somebody go back there and hold an off some plate. Somebody. Not everybody at once, but somebody. Um, and uh, I said, everything you put in that plate will be the, the love offering for Matt. Uh, he drove up here all the way from the great state of South Carolina today. And so, I appreciate Matt being here. Uh, I wish he'd got time to tell you a little bit of his testimony. Uh, If you talk to him, I'm sure he will. And so, I appreciate uh, you doing that. Uh, Also, I am obliged to invite you to Timothy's graduation party. Saturday from 2 to 4. That's what I thought. Does that look like it said June the 17th? Okay. June 10th, from 2 to 4 right here. Please come. I love my wife to death. That she has one, just one, bad habit. If four people are coming for something, she will fix 37 pieces of chicken. <laughs> I know that there will be food galore. And if you don't come eat it, it will be at my Although it's getting easier to get rid of food now at my house. <laughs> so, but uh, that's this Saturday from 2 to 4, so remember that. All right, let's bow for this one. Father, I thank you today for allowing us to be here. I thank you for uh, your goodness and your love. Uh, God, thank you for the sweet spirit we've enjoyed here today. Uh, God, I just pray that uh, you would uh, go with us we leave. God, that we'll take this moment, that your Spirit will continue to uh, to, to speak to our hearts. Uh, God, that we'll go out. God, that we'll find the Levi's and the Matthews in our world. And God, we'll share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. Realizing that no one is beyond the reach of your grace. And we'll give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Not yet. Not yet.